The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist appeared preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was of him that the prophet Isaiah had spoken when he said, A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. At that time, Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region around the Jordan were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce good fruit as evidence of your repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God can raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe lies at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I am baptizing you with water for repentance. But the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You be seated. I have a stump behind my house that refuses to die. It's a weed tree. About four or five years ago, we found it back there. And we decided to hack it off. I proceeded to drill holes into it and pour every kind of poison down it to make it die a quick, painful death. And every couple months, I go back there, and it's grown a forest around itself. It grew out some more shoots and branches and buds and flowers, and it's annoying because it won't die. I've done everything. I've looked it up on YouTube. I've searched the internet. It will not die. I have a family that prides itself on killing stumps. We have a place up north in northern Wisconsin. We would frequently, every year, we would have multiple trees we would mark for destruction. We would cut them down. We would kill the stumps, drilling holes into them or burning them or whatever it would take. And we're very good at it. I can't kill this stump. It refuses to die and it drives me nuts and it hurts my pride, if I'm frankly honest with you. Keep that in mind. A kingdom is a fragile thing. It doesn't take much to make a dynasty disappear. You think of movies, they have all these things, betrayals and coups and, and assassins and poison and all that stuff. But even simply just having a, a, a dynasty deal with infertility or having a string of female children would be enough to bring an, any royal line to an end. And, and history is full of this. History is full of family trees just ending, just being chopped off. Israel had a time of kings. And many of them were evil. Some of them were, were okay, were good even. It, even the good kings uh, had incredible moral failings like David and Solomon. But, but 
the king itself was something that the people begged for because God wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to have God as their king. They wanted a king like the rest of the world. So God gives them over to their passions and appoints Saul to be their king. And they love Saul because he was handsome and he was tall and he was strong. That's it. That's what qualified him for to be a king. And he was horrible. He was horrible. He turns away from God. He starts doing his, his own thing. He starts going to these mediums to, to give him guidance instead of the one true God. And so God then through Samuel appoints David to be king, the son of Jesse. And so the kingdom of David arises, and after David follows Solomon, his son, before the kingdom then is divided because of some political meanderings, and you have the north kingdom and the south kingdom. And eventually even that collapses. And there are moments where the kingdom appears to be on life support, but by the time the, the Persians and the Greeks and the Romans have all run through Israel, there's no, no visible dynasty left. The kingdom is dead. But then you have this word from Isaiah tonight, Isaiah 11, where it says the stump of Jesse is going to produce the shoot. It's a stump that refuses to die. It won't. Everything the world throws at it to try to destroy it, to try to kill it, to try to keep it from bearing any more life, it refuses to die off. And Isaiah writes this about 700, 750 years before the time of Jesus, during the time of King Uzziah when King Uzziah dies, which is even 150 years before the fall of Judah. So there's still 150 years of this dynasty, and, and Isaiah's talking about it being chopped off, being cut off. Dying a death uh, that, that apparently it can come back from. See, Isaiah, when they have no reason to not have hope, gives them a hope for the future. And, and he, he says this powerful thing that this one, this, this king who is to rise, will have a spirit that rests upon him, a spirit of, of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord or reverence, that his delight would be in revering the Lord. In fact, those very words were just spoken over our three confirmats. That that would be the spirit that rests upon them. That is to say, this spirit that is to rest upon this king is different than, than all those who had gone before him. He's going to be a different king. And he's going to bring justice upon the land. And that justice will bring peace. Now, now, in a monarchy, the king would, would hold court and people would bring all their problems to the king. They would plead their case before the king. And the king would make a decision on what would be done. A, a famous example is King Solomon and these two women come with a baby and they both claim that the baby is theirs and Solomon uses his wisdom to discern who is right. But that's what the king would do all day. And often, justice, making a decision brings conflict. Because when you're choosing between two parties, one is right and one is wrong, and so one is bound to be disappointed or upset by the decision. And so they might become a vigilante. They might enact their own sense of justice. They might riot. They might, they might raise up. They might become upset. But what we have in Isaiah is a king who, when he brings justice, he brings peace. It doesn't divide people. It brings them together. Because he is a king unlike any that has ever walked this earth. We're used to kings or rulers that, that maybe have a little bit of an arrogance to them. right? They might seem a little pompous or even 
self-serving. In, in the worst sense of the word, they become tyrannical. This whole idea that absolute power corrupts absolutely. But even in the best sense, even the best rulers throughout the ages, you still see the, the grandeur, don't you? The, the royal treatment, the, the parties and the, the feasts and the celebrations. No expense spared. Yet how often it still appears self-serving, especially to the poor in the kingdom. But this prophecy of a king who, who doesn't divide and doesn't serve himself, but serves the people, is, is a prophecy that comes true in the birth of Jesus. The one who was anointed, we talked about prophet, priest, and king. He serves these three roles. And, and tonight, to think about him as king, he's a shoot off the stump of Jesse in the in the Gospels, they have the genealogies that trace the lineage of Jesus back to Jesse, back to King David. And this is the one that John is preparing the way for. John's, if, if we could use the, the, the phrase, is rolling out the red carpet for him, but he's not doing it on Hollywood Boulevard. He's doing it out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. But, but Jesus always is, is living in this paradox Right? He, he's a king that's not born in a palace. He's a king that was born in the manger. He's a king that the heralds aren't blowing trumpets, but it's a, it's a guy everyone thinks is crazy out in the desert. It's a king that doesn't raise up an army, but, but has 12 apostles following him around, teaching and healing people. He, he's a king that doesn't have soft hands moisturized by all the finest things he can buy, but, but are the hardworking hands of a carpenter. They wanted a king, just not like him. They wanted someone to, to raise up Israel again. But instead, this time, God, God doesn't give them the king they wanted like they did with Saul. He, he gives us the king we need. His only son, who humbles himself and comes to us so that we would know him. So often those of royalty, those of, of great stature, are, are far off and we, we can't know them. He wants us to know him. Sir Kierkegaard wrote a great uh, a parable I want to share with you called The King and the Maiden. Suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every statesman trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all his opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village in his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? In an odd sort of way, his kingliness tied his hands. If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with all the jewels of the kingdom and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly love him? Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a private grief for the life she had left behind? Would she be happy by his side? How could he ever know for sure? If he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, a two would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover, an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden and to let shared love cross the gulf between them. 
For it is only in love that the unequal can be made equal. So the king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her clothed as a beggar. He approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loosely about him. It was not just a disguise. The king took on a total new identity. He renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers. This parable is about Christ and his bride, the church. The, the word became flesh so that our love would be genuine. And, and we would have no ability to doubt the sincerity of his love. He's a king who, who doesn't use his power or glory to coerce us, to, to twist our arm into submission. He, he doesn't overwhelm us with his splendor, leaving us speechless, but, but leaving the truth of our hearts unknown. Through simple means, he, he offers us an opportunity to fall in love with him. And, and while so many kings throughout history have used their power to get what they want, we have a God who forsakes his, his power not to take what he wants, but to enter into a relationship of love with us, his children. It's in his coming down that he lifts us up. And he restores us to what we were meant to be at the beginning, kings and queens. We were meant to rule, even as Adam and Eve did in the garden to care for the creation. We were meant to have our little kingdoms and to rule nobly over them as servant kings and queens. And though we lost that in the fall of humanity, Christ comes to restore us into that role. The Chronicles of Narnia portray this so well with the Pemvazis children when, when they're put back on the throne. A throne that was always waiting for them even though they had never been to Narnia before. We in Christ are called to rule. Through our baptism. We're, we're adopted into his family of faith. That's what we just witnessed back there. We are made his sons and daughters, and not, not partial sons and daughters, not kind of on the side or they're forgotten sons and daughters, fully sons and daughters of the kingdom, fully embraced into the family. And if, if that is the case, then fully enjoying all the gifts of the kingdom of God. The feasts and the celebrations, not, not for the self-important people, but for us, the repentant, the sinners, the broken, who find their healing and restoration in the man of justice who wields justice, the king who wields justice, but not to destroy us, but himself is destroyed so that we could have life. He bears the weight of justice upon himself for us because he loves us. And he took on flesh to do just that. And he's put you in charge of your little kingdoms to rule as Christ has ruled in your own hearts. Not by coercion, but by invitation. As Christ has invited us into that relationship with him. Think about kids for an example. You get them for what, 18 years, give or take? And then they're off. You can, you, we all have, we've tried to coerce them. I'm going to make them do this. I'm going to make them obedient. I'm going to make them listen and follow and do what I want them to do. And then they go off and they make their own decisions. You can't force them. You can simply invite them and to teach them and instruct them and pray. Pray a whole lot. 
That the example of the king for us, as it penetrated our hearts, would penetrate their heart. And that they would come to know the Lord that we've come to know. And to live in his kingdom forever. The servant king who fights for our sake. This new kingdom we've been invited into. You've been anointed as kings and queens. Not not so we can carelessly and recklessly enjoy the good gifts of God's kingdom, but so that we can enjoy them in service to others. And that our little kingdoms he's entrusted us with would be part of his bigger kingdom. The readings that I talked about it like this, it said bear fruit. That, that, That stump that refused to die may bear fruit from our families. That's why I think that stump in the back, I still hope it dies. I'm going to be honest. I want it to die. But for now, it's a beautiful image, isn't it? Because from that stump has grown a forest. And isn't it so with Christ? And isn't it so in this place? You are all little branches sprouting out and overgrowing in a beautiful, powerful way into this community and into this world. So that when our king comes again to establish his kingdom once and for all, he'd welcome not just us into that kingdom, but all the lives we reached out and touched through his grace and glory that we would all share in the eternal splendor and festivities of the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.